Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I love this weekend in college football, especially when Florida and Georgia get together in Jacksonville. Unfortunately, I don't think the Gators are going to give them much of a fight. I mean, Georgia is just really, really good. But what an opportunity for Anthony Richardson to go up there and maybe, maybe put on a show. Certainly might be better than his last visit in this series. It was his first collegiate start, had some mixed results. But, of course, Georgia, one of the best teams in the nation, defending national champions and all that. We'll see how the Gators fare. Matt will be hanging up there this Saturday. We'll talk to him in just a minute. Of course, I was at the Bucks as they prepare for their short week Thursday night football game against the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Had a chance to talk to Tom Brady, Byron Leftwich. Folks, if they've got the answers, they're not sharing them. Um, you know, this offense, of course, is uh, regressing. They scored only three points uh, against a not-so-great Carolina team, and that's putting it mildly. They've lost now four out of their last five. Last time that happened, Tom Brady uh, was, let's see, he was 3-4 and four in 2002. They won their first three games, lost their next four in a row, and that's the only time he has been 3-4 and four after seven games in a season. That year ended up with the Patriots going 9-7 and seven and missing the playoffs. They did not make it to the postseason because of some tiebreakers and whatnot. So, at this point, I don't know. The Bucs might be doing well to get to 9-7, and seven, the way things are going. And uh, not a whole lot of, of uh, insights to this one. I, I think that there might be a changing of the guard, it looks like, uh, in, in as much as I think, but it's by default, right? Uh, Luke uh, Gedeke seems to have a bit of an ankle injury or foot injury, I should say. And that, he was in a boot after the game the other day. So I think Nick Leverett, who played about 20 snaps in that game and did pretty well against Carolina, the, the plan was to alternate those guys a little bit, give Nick some, some reps, let, uh, you know, let the rookie sit on the side and kind of, uh, you know, kind of chill a little bit and, and take some of the pressure off of him. I think that's a bad plan. Personally, I think it's really hard for offensive linemen to be in and out of games in the NFL um, I just don't think you, you help the cause on either side. Um, you know, I know it was tough for Leverett because I talked to him after the game, and he did the best he could. He ended up playing even a snap, I think, at, at, right, and, at right guard as well as, as playing at left. Uh, but he held up. He had good film. And unfortunately, he wasn't in there on the short yardage situation. That's as much uh, some play calling issues as it is just execution. But I think if Leverett plays this game, and plays well against the Baltimore Ravens, and unfortunately they have yet another perennial pro bowler in Calais Campbell in the middle of that defense, I think he has an opportunity maybe to, to, to nail that position down for a few weeks, but we'll see uh, just how that goes about. One of the guys, though, who seems like he's getting closer to playing, and this could be exciting because it's possible it could be Thursday night, Akeem Hicks, remember him, uh, played the first two games of the season, uh, really a game and a half. He was injured in New Orleans, he had the uh, plantar fascia injury on his foot. And he is, you know, they didn't put him on IR. They thought he'd be back maybe after four weeks. 
It was actually, it's been five now, but he is practicing for whatever that mat means this week because remember, they're all kind of glorified walkthroughs. They're supposed to tell us if it was not a walkthrough, whether or not they would have practiced fully or not. Um, but he, I talked to him, really haven't seen him in the in the locker room very much, and I asked, are you close? And he said, super close. I can't say how close, but I'm super close. And he kind of had a big smile on his face. So I think there's a real chance for this week. We'll see. They certainly need him. I mean, this team has regressed in terms of its run defense. We've seen, you know, how good Hicks is lining up next to Vita Vea. He makes him a better player. Um, and we know they decided to go with Hicks over guys like Indomitian Sue, who's still out of football, by the way. But, you know, like all their free agents, it seems, they got a bunch of guys who had, you know, rather vast injury histories, whether it was Julio Jones. Keem Hicks is right there. He's missed 25 games now over the past three and a half years. That's a lot. And he told me, he says, I've seen this before, and I don't imagine it'll be the last time. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how many more times you're going to get you know, to, to be injured, but that's what happens with guys that have played as long as he has. And you know, he still was younger, you know, several years younger than Dominican Sue. They paid him $6.5 million. He had a chance to make as much as eight if he stayed healthy. That didn't occur. But... You know, that's, as he said, it's, it's just part of life. I mean, it's the up and downs and, and stuff like that. So uh, I think Akeem Hicks in the middle of that defense will certainly solve some of their issues, especially in the run game, maybe get some pressure inside. Uh, he'll get some one-on-ones because Vita Vey is getting a lot of the double teams, but they need to win on that other defensive tackle spot. And he said, look, I, you know, as far as solving their problems, he says, I don't look to be the answer to anything. I think we have guys in the building that can handle the job, whatever's you know in front of them on the field. But I hope to be an additive. I hope to assist. And I know the type of player I am. And everybody else does too. When Akeem Hicks is healthy, when he's right, he's a factor both in the run game and the pass game. So uh, that would be exciting to see. One other thing real quickly. Uh, I don't know if you followed the Mike Evans uh, saga with this referee. Uh, it appeared was asking for an autograph. Mike signed something coming off the field. In Carolina, I will just tell you that that has now been uh, cleared, that incident, by the NFL. They're not happy with the officials. I don't know what their internal you know, suspension or fining process might be. I suspect those guys are going to get something. But uh, they have confirmed with Mike Evans and the official story that it was not an autograph. What, in fact, was occurring, it, it appears from several reports, and we've kind of confirmed this, is that one of the officials was the one that was involved um, went to Texas A&M, uh, same as Mike Evans, not with him, but also they were both Aggies. And apparently um, he uh, is in touch with a golf pro. Mike wants to uh, take golf lessons, improve his golf game. And this guy was uh, merely getting Mike's phone number uh, so he could help connect him with this particular pro and make that happen. So uh, that's all it was. It wasn't, you know, even even that though, it's like, you know, um, you just wonder, like, the next time Mike doesn't get a, a pass interference call from this guy, he's going to look at him, he's a side judge, and go, really? Really? Um, you know, I know you tried to help me, but come on, man. But regardless, it, it wasn't anything nefarious. It wasn't. And the other official was merely providing the piece of paper. He, he had nothing to do with it whatsoever. So that's what it was. There's nothing that captains have to sign after a game. None of that. There's a lot of conspiracy theories and, and just different ideas out there. Um, but it was merely uh, merely his phone number that he wrote down, and no one's in trouble, certainly not Mike, and that should be the end of it.
All right, before we get to Matt Baker, I want to remind you guys that uh, it is still kind of hot out there. We're using lots of energy. I know I am. And if your electric bill is going up, we have a solution for you. It's called May Electric Solar. It's a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for a dozen years. You know there's all these fly-by-night companies, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and service warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That's the May difference. Billy May guarantees that. If you want to visit his Hutchins showroom, they've got uh, all kinds of products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see what they're going to install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors. All those guys on the roof, they are employees of May Electric Solar, and they are with Billy every day. So start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. Glory Electric Bill all year long. Preserve the quality of your appliances and of your life. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, favorite time of the week. We get to talk some college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. Matt, all the schools were off, the ones we followed closely in the state last week. Uh, They're all coming back with some significant games, however, um, coming up Saturday. So let's start with the game that you're going to be at, uh, Florida and Georgia in Jacksonville. They still call this uh, the largest cocktail party. I don't know if that's even appropriate anymore up there, but it is quite a scene of course, up there in Jacksonville. So now, I was reading your story about Anthony Richardson, and this was, it, it reminded me, this was his first start a year ago, and to say it didn't go uh, well would, would be putting it mildly, right? Yeah, thanks for having me on. It, it started off okay. They were competitive, and then there was just a disastrous two-minute stretch at the end of the first half where Anthony's fighting for extra yards and fumbles, and then Georgia scores, and uh, Anthony and the Gators get the ball back, and he throws a, a tipped interception on a heck of a play by, I think it was uh, Nolan Smith, or one of, one of the five stars on Georgia's defense. Forgive me, I get them all mis- uh, mixed up. Um, and then that leads to a touchdown, and then uh, Anthony Richardson kind of telegraphs a, a... I still don't quite understand what happened, but a, it was a bad decision to throw it on a... Uh, screen uh, a wide receiver screen out to the running back Malik Davis and Nicobe Dean jumps it and pick six and from three to zero to 24 to zero very very fast and last year's game was not all on Anthony uh, the the result I mean it's it's not Anthony Richardson's fault that Dan Mullen couldn't recruit the the dudes and the creatures that Georgia had particularly on defense it's not his fault that uh, Florida's defensive front could not stop Georgia's run game um, it's not his fault that things were had started to really spiral there from Mullen and the Gators at that point. And, and it's not his fault that they the Gators chose that week as the time to give him his first start against you know, one of the best defenses uh, of my lifetime, and that's, that's no exaggeration. But he did not play particularly well. So this is kind of a, a chance for him to show that he has matured, that he's grown. Um, he admitted he was in his own head a little bit last year, and I could see why. But if this is a different Anthony Richardson, and obviously he's had the open date, the time off to kind of get in a, the right headspace, and Napier and the guys have had a chance to put him in the right headspace. If he's different, then we'll see it on Saturday against a, a, a really, really, really good Georgia team. They are really good. They've played some close games. Um, so make any case you could possibly for Georgia stumbling in this game. So I was trying to find 
the last time the, the spread i'm looking at covers.com who's who's helped me out with this so i'll give them a shout uh according to on the guys on covers.com have georgia as a 22 point favorite and i i can't say that that's wrong mm. um i tried to find the last time florida georgia florida was a three touchdown underdog or, or a spread this large against georgia um in 1971, it was close. It was 21 points is kind of what I've seen. Um, the last one that I could tell, some places, apparently, whatever the books they were, in 1948 had the Gators, as a, depending on where you looked, a three or four touchdown underdog. Wow. So I, I'm reading from uh, the Bradenton Herald. <clears throat> uh, the pickers may be wrong. They were on Dewey. The reference there, of course, is Dewey defeats Truman. Wow. Yeah. That is the last time <laughs> that Florida was this much of an underdog or thereabouts uh, in this game. So, um, yeah. And by the way, the final score of that one, as I'm sure you remember, was 20 to 12. Uh, Florida lost but covered. I'm sure a lot of people were very happy about that in Jacksonville. So what is the case that I can make? Um, Anthony Richardson has to play out of his mind. I yeah. think that's pretty clear. Um, if they lose, it will not be on Anthony. I, I think that's fair, probably fair to say. But they're not going to win unless he has a transcendent performance. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're going to need to get a couple fluky plays, a uh, tip pass that gets intercepted, or a fumble that gets brought to the house, a kickoff return, just kind of the, the weird stuff as well. And then Florida would have had to have figured out the defense per- I mean, just we talked about it before that the defense was has been historically bad on third down. Yeah. Um, they haven't gotten enough pressure. The secondary has been kind of exposed. That's what's going to have to happen. It, it's going to have to be just them playing out of their mind, and it's going to have to be uh, uh, Georgia's going to have to screw up a lot, bad interceptions, weird fluky things, and and you know Jacksonville weirdness is a thing. This is a weird series. Lots of crazy things have happened in this series in the past. Just, you know, the team that was favored ends up laying an egg, that sort of thing. So it's going to have to be just a confluence of weird for Florida to have a chance in my eyes. Florida may be happy if they get Georgia to third down, whether they play it well or not, um, as the case may be. All right, so we've got uh, some other state schools obviously in action, and they were all off, as we mentioned before. Let's talk a little bit about USF, which is at Houston. They've lost their starting quarterback now. And you wrote a story saying – uh, that a lot of hope for Jeff Scott might be wrapped around Catravis Marsh. Explain. Yeah. So, look, let's we've we've talked about it. It's there are serious doubts about in the fan base for sure about whether Jeff Scott is the guy long term at USF. And, and you know his his tenure right now he's four and twenty four. I, I, those questions are fair. And I'm still not convinced. I, I know USF does not want to get rid of him. But if they lose out, I, it, it would be hard to bring him back. So even with, with all of the injuries. But but look at, at Trey Marsh. He's a guy that, in theory, is someone that USF should have a lot of hope in. Um, I mean, he was a prize recruit. He was a three-star guy at a Miami Central, won a state title there. Miami Central, uh, if you don't follow high school football well, they are always really, really good. That's where Dalvin yeah. Cook went. Mm-hmm. They, 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 that's one of the premier programs, not just in the state, but really in the country in terms of talent. So he was a starting quarterback there, won a, a state championship, uh, had some SEC interest and in, uh, committed to Jeff Scott on his first full recruiting weekend after, uh, you know, his Clemson tenure ended. So he's been in the program for a while. Um, 
He chose to come back in December. He entered the transfer portal, looked around, said, you know what? I think I'd rather come back. And, and he's gotten a lot of the number two reps. And just to kind of expand on that a tiny bit, remember how USF handled the quarterback uh, battle in the offseason. In the past, Jeff Scott had wanted to name a starter either week one, like just before the game, leading up to it, or use the non-conference games as a way to test out who's going to be our guy for, for conference play. They did it different this year, and they decided after 10 practices, Gary Bohannon was it. And they did that because they knew whoever didn't win the job, Gary Bohannon or Tim McLean, was probably going to leave. And they didn't want to give backup reps, or excuse me, yeah, the number two reps to somebody who was going to leave. Mm. So that's kind of the way that it played out. Uh, McLean didn't get the job. He transferred to UCF. And they were able to give those wet reps at number two to Trey Marsh. So he's had all this time to develop and, and to continue progressing as the guy who, if anything happens, he's it. And now he's it. So USF should have some confidence in him. He started a couple times before. Cincinnati in 2020, East Carolina last year. The numbers aren't great, but he's clearly talented, and he's had the whole open date to know that, okay, you're the guy. This is it. We're going to tailor the, this, the game to you and what you do best, get you comfortable to go out and have a chance of beating Houston. So uh, USF needs to do something over these next five games. If not to save Scott's job, then at least to get some sort of positive momentum in the recruiting trail. Uh, as you know, we've talked about it before, obviously the push for an on-campus stadium, they need something on the field to sell. So there's a lot of pressure on, on Marsh and obviously the Bulls as a whole to deliver some encouraging results. Even, you know, I don't think anybody's expecting 5-0, and oh, but to do something positive down the stretch that gives people optimism that things are changing. Yeah, I mean, USF plays at Houston and then they're um, at Temple, which might be their best chance for a victory. Then they finish up uh, their home against SMU, I guess, on the road at Tulsa, and then the UCF game, which probably won't go very well for them. Uh, Marche uh, going to get it done with his legs or his arm, or a combination thereof? Yeah, I, I think I think both. Um, he is athletic; he can move. Um, but you know, Jeff Scott's talked a lot about his arm strength and said he's you know, got the strongest arm of anybody that we've brought in in, in his three years. Um, mm. And I think the other thing, I, I'm not a quarterback win stat, but I went back to just to listen to what Jeff Scott said when they signed uh, Marsh out of Miami Central. The first thing he said is he's a winner. Yeah. And maybe there is something to that, just especially at this point in the program, right, where things have been going so bad for, for several years. Maybe have, you know, Maybe he can do something from the leadership standpoint to kind of try and turn something around. Yeah, no, it's a it's an important time for USF. I think these last few games to show progress and for Jeff Scott, hopefully wins. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. So we've got. Florida State coming off their bye as well. They're at home against Georgia Tech, which is not, let's be honest, a very good team. Um, this is not a time to stumble right now 
if you're Mike Norvell or or his or his Seminoles. You've had an open week. This is a team you've got that you should win. Um, tell tell me about this matchup and what are some of the you know some of the key things we should be looking for in this game. Yeah, I I think we should see Florida State just kick the crap out of Georgia Tech. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. Honestly, um, <laughs> that big Georgia setup Tech, all for that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, Georgia Tech is not very good. Uh, they've got an interim coach and, and Brent Key, who was uh, one time he was the heir apparent to George O'Leary, the head coach in waiting at UCF, and right. no, he he was able to squeeze a little something out of the Yellow Jackets earlier in this interim period, but. Now, their starting quarterback, Jeff Sims, is hurt, um, unsure whether he's going to play. Florida State fans will remember that name. He was committed to FSU for a while, um, and then after Norvell got the job, uh, flipped from FSU and ended up signing with Georgia Tech. But I, I look at this as just kind of the start of the, the finish here for FSU. Um, you know, they're 4-3, they're and three, which is not bad considering where we thought they'd be in July. But if you go back to after the first four games, you would have liked to have them to have beaten wake or nc state or clemson so i look at this schedule georgia tech's not good miami's a, a absolute wreck an absolute wreck um syracuse is, is a top 20 team top 25 team i don't think they're that good so i see fsu's trip to to the carrier dome or whatever it's called now i, I think fsu can totally win that louisiana lafayette totally winnable game florida i would pick fsu probably by double digits at this point so I look at this as the start of a time FSU to me has a chance. They should at least win four, maybe win five of these and really get some real juice flowing on the recruiting trail and heading into Mike Norvell's fourth season. So that's really where I'm starting with this Georgia Tech game is can they do what they're supposed to do with this extra time off, destroy a team that's not very good, and then get on a roll here to end the season where you're thinking, all right, FSU is really headed in the right place in 23. Well, you just mentioned it. One team that doesn't look like it's headed in the right place, and I think this is a surprise to me. I don't know. You know, they hired Mario Cristobal, who has the Miami ties, obviously, and is a good recruiter by all outward signs, and yet, you know, here they are. They're playing at Virginia. They've got Florida State a couple weeks from now uh, that you mentioned that the Seminoles shouldn't have any trouble with them. Why hasn't this worked? I mean, Miami is a brand. Um, I, I thought that they would – you know, climb back up slowly, but not this slowly. What's going on? Yeah, uh, I, I think that there was preseason buzz, and I include myself in here because I picked, I, I had Miami, I think, in the top top fifteen, top twenty to start the season. And I thought Telly Van Dyke was a dude. I thought it was he had there was enough talent there that it could work, and it's not. I mean, eight turnovers against Duke. I, I, I was I was off on on Saturday and got to uh, enjoy some family time watching a lot of football. Um, my kid, by the way, not only is memorizing college football scores, he's memorizing the betting lines, which I don't know if I should be proud or terrified. <laughs> we're, we're, we're driving to the zoo and talking about the games, and he's telling me Alabama is a twenty-one and a half point favorite. That's not an exaggeration. That literally happened. Um, oh my! So I say that because. I could not watch the Miami game. It wasn't I, whatever channel it was on was not available at the Baker House, and it was a good thing because that's just sickening to watch. Eight turnovers. There is no excuse for that. Zero. Uh, and even if this is a rebuilding year and a rebuilding time for Miami, that's fine and dandy. That does not excuse getting your butts kicked at home against Middle Tennessee and getting your butts kicked at home to a Duke team with a first-year staff. This isn't like a great Duke team. 
you know, they had the time, I think it was in 2012 or, or 11, where they won the Coastal. It was, it was their turn on the, the Coastal spinning meter. And this isn't that kind of Duke team. Duke's okay for Duke. So it, it's just completely mind-boggling. There's more talent there than how it is performing. Some of the injury issues are completely legitimate, and I'm not downplaying that, especially if, if Van Dyke is out, and I haven't seen an update on him as we record this on Tuesday. So there's serious issues. But the talent is not nowhere close to the way it should be. And when you're underperforming like that, to that extent, it's a sign that you know there, there's some, some serious game management and X's and O's issues. Because with all of that said, Miami should not be this bad. Period. End of story. I agree, and, and it's it's sad to see it. it. It's been a difficult run in the state of Florida for programs that we just grew accustomed to them always being in national championship contention, and that just hasn't been the case for a long time. I think you could make an argument that there is a, a lot of optimism at, at Florida. Certainly, Florida State, if they continue to win, is making great strides. USF, we we still don't know which way that's going to go with Jeff Scott, um, but Miami. With that hotbed of high school talent down there, like they used to say, you know, the state of Miami, build a fence around it, whatever, um, it, it's just inexplicable to me that, uh, that they have tried many different coaches, many different ways, and they, they've gotten players, but it just hasn't come together. So um, I'm perplexed so let's, as you are. Yeah, let's dig, on that, dig in on that for just another second here. I've said before on here and, and elsewhere that after, you know, one bad coaching hire, that happens everywhere. Two in a row or two close together, that's, that's a little unlucky, but it happens. After a while, you keep missing on coaches. It's not the coaches. It's the program. Mm, mm. And th- th- I don't know that this is the program at this point with Miami. And they've had systemic issues, right? The facilities are not sure. up to Alabama, Georgia levels. And, and there have been issues in, with investment. But to get Mario uh, Cristobal from Oregon, they put a lot of money into it. And they're going to put a lot of money into it. Maybe it's just the fact that Miami is behind and it's going to take them time to catch up. Maybe yeah, that's fair. part of what we're seeing here. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought Miami might be kind of the quickest turnaround of the three. But as mm-hmm. we sit here today, FSU is pretty clearly in my eyes the highest of the three in terms of this 22 team. Yeah. The future can be pretty bright at Florida. Um, as we sit here today... They, they just got a, uh, a blue chip offensive lineman on uh, Monday to flip from FSU to Florida. We might have talked about him at some point. He was the guy who uh, committed to Florida State on his way home from a Gators visit over the summer. And that started right. this whole like meltdown on the fans. Like, Billy Napier is terrible. He's a bum. Fire him. Get him out of here. But Gators have the number eight recruiting class in the country. Um, 18 blue chip recruits, which is a very good number. A bunch of them are top 250 recruits. And on Thursday, uh, there's a five-star number two uh, uh, player in the country, Cormani McLean at Lakeland, who's a cornerback. And, uh, I, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I would expect him to commit to Florida, and so do a lot of other people. And he would be the Gators' biggest get since Vernon Hargraves, if not before. So there's definite signs that the Gators, you know, Florida State on-field product is better. The Gators' yeah. recruiting product is, is clearly better, and you can see this – class that Billy is building for 2023 as a foundational piece in the turnaround. Miami, I don't know what I can tell you right now about where the Canes are. I just don't. 
Well, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, especially in this state and, of course, the state of college football in general. You mentioned underperforming. Probably no team in the nation and certainly no head coach, uh, Matt, uh, more underperforming than Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, who got paid a lot of money. And on the heels of, of really winning a national championship with Jameis Winston and some other really good players, Dalvin Cook included, look, all his recruiting classes, the last one uh, was, you know, so sort of bought, according to Nick Saban. Um, and so he's got dudes, as you like to say. He's got players. How the hell can you be three and four and lose to South Carolina? Well, so they have had injuries, and a lot of the dudes – you know, this past recruiting class was arguably the best in the modern recruiting era. And so you're not expecting all the freshmen to play and what have you, but it's, it's inexcusable. It is absolutely inexcusable. Um, his record through, what is he through 55 games at Texas A&M is two games worse than Kevin Sumlin's at that point. Wow. It's, it's, it's bad. Um, I mean, the, the quarterback play isn't up to snuff, but, you know, we think of him as a quarterback whisperer for what he did with EJ Manuel and Christian Ponder and obviously Jameis and go back to Jamarcus Russell when he was at LSU. But their quarterback play at, other than Kellen Mond, kind of, sort of, at A&M mm-hmm. has not been good. Um, I think he's been stuck. Let me rephrase that. I know he's been stubborn in terms <laughs> of wanting to call the plays and not getting right. an OC. He's been stubborn in not tweaking his playbook. I mean, you look at the, the, the best coach in, in ever is is Nick Saban. He does not want to win games. If you gave him truth serum, he doesn't want to win them 52 to 49 and and uh 45 40 was the score of his the national title game that he beat Clemson. He doesn't want to win that way. But he will if he has to and he adjusted because the game changed and he had to change too. And we haven't seen that with Jimbo at this point where they're not either he doesn't have the right dudes for his system or his system's not right for the dudes he has. And either way, it's on him to fix it, and he hasn't. And to me, one of the things that's so fascinating about this, first of all, the, the, the schadenfreude when A&M loses any game is, is so intense on the college football ecosystem. Because, I mean, look, it's because A&M gave him a 10-year, fully guaranteed $75 million contract and then gave him an extension to make it 10 years and $95 million fully guaranteed. And he could mm. leave tomorrow for $0. That's what's so mind-boggling about it. And I think this is – I don't know if, it's, if inflection point is the right way for this, but things are obviously very bad there. And he's got, to believe, nine years left after this. So if they decided, you know what, this is not working, they would owe him somewhere in the neighborhood of – I can't remember if it's between 85 or, or $89 million to get rid of him. It's, it's not feasible, even with college football monopoly money. So what's going to have to happen is either A&M is going to have to take potentially years of mediocrity before the buyout is so low that they can afford to get rid of him, or this patience will be rewarded and he'll figure it out. Um, I don't know which one is going to happen. I would presume it would be more eight and four than he figures it out and wins a national championship. But one way or another, I think this is going to change the way college football operates because it's not like he's the only one in this situation. You know, Michigan State gave Mel Tucker a bazillion dollars, and you know, they're not doing that great. We talked about Mario, and you know it's way too soon to give up on him at Miami, but that's not going great. So there's plenty of other situations like this where coaches are getting so much money and, and so much of it guaranteed 
and it's not working out. And I think eventually it will change somehow, some way. Um, and if it does, I think we might look back on Jimbo and this run he's in right now as the turning point one way or the other. Either the patience is rewarded and firing everybody after three years doesn't, that's not the way to do it. Or the fully guaranteed $11 billion contracts are stupid and don't work. So let's stop doing them. Yeah, they got to be incredibly disappointed down there in Aggie land uh, in college station. It's, it is just not worked. And like I said, you know, we, he seems to be getting the players, but uh, some of them are still young as well. I don't know how long they'll stick with him, but there's an awful lot of dollars that says he's not going anyplace. All right, you got some other uh, quick news and notes that uh, you might have on your uh, notebook there, Matt? Yeah, so Ohio State-Penn State is one of the most interesting games of the weekend. Um, Ohio State is really, really, really good. They hung 50 on Iowa, which is impressive. Uh, Iowa's defense is legit, even if their offense is unwatchable. So that's impressive, and, and Penn State I still don't think is a great team, but they should at least present some sort of challenge for the Buckeyes and, and your boy C.J. Stroud. So that's something that I'm uh, paying attention to. Um, Cincinnati and UCF is, is one at 3.30 that I'm curious about. UCF you know, was right on the verge of my top 25, laid an egg against East Carolina, and so I want to see if they can bounce back because I still think they're one of the better teams in the AAC, and they got a chance to kind of make some noise. Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, on uh, Saturday night, seven on ESPN. That's an interesting one because obviously we know how good the Vols are. We know about their big win over Bama. I'm still not convinced. You know, I've got a number one in the country because of the resume. I don't know that they're on that Ohio State Georgia level, and I would not be surprised if they slip up. Certainly, you know Georgia. I think it's next week is, is a big one. Watch Kentucky though. Mark Stoops knows mm. what he's doing, particularly on defense. So that's. I'm not saying Tennessee is going to lose, but that one I think will has a ten, has a chance to be really really close. And the final one I wanted to mention uh, the 7:30 game uh, on ESPN. Uh, if you're not watching the Bucks on Thursday, pay, I'm curious about this one: Virginia Tech and NC State. I don't think either team's that good. NC State's quarterbacks hurt, but Dan Mullen, the, the former Gators coach, that is going to be his debut as a uh, in-game color commentator for uh, for oh, ESPN. Wow. So. I'm kind of curious just to see how he does on that. Not, I don't know that I'm going to watch him instead of Lamar Jackson, but just something to kind of pay attention to. Well, the way the Bucks are playing lately, you might want to watch Dan Mullen after uh, not too long in that game. <laughs> I don't really know Fair what's going to happen on Thursday night football. He's Matt Baker, and he's going to chug on his way up to Jacksonville, one of the, um, I don't know, necessarily one of the most scenic drives, uh, but I'm sure you've got a good route uh, on the way up there. Be careful. Enjoy the game. It should be a great one uh, in terms of atmosphere. I'm not so sure it's going to be that great if you're a Gator fan, but this is college football, right, Matt? Anything can happen. Absolutely. So I, I hope I at least have something interesting to write and something uh, an interesting game to listen to on the drive back. Outstanding. Thanks for being with us. And uh, you can read Matt on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Rick. Great college football weekend. I might actually get to watch a little college football since the Bucks will not have a game on Sunday. They play Thursday night. Football will preview that game against the Baltimore Ravens. Sort of an almost must-win for the Bucks as they try to uh, shake this uh, losing streak. Uh, well, not losing streak, but it's four out of five now. It is two in a row, but it's four out of five uh, in this stretch, and they got to do it against a really tough Baltimore Ravens team and Lamar Jackson. The Lightning continue uh, they're in the late-night uh, telecast, I guess. They are at Anaheim in this West Coast swing. 
So we'll look forward to seeing how they uh, how they fare out there on the West Coast. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstyn, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.